Hello and welcome to another episode of the Get Football Tactics podcast. I'm your host Neil Shelat and as always I am delighted to say I have been joined by Varun Vasudevan. How are you Varun? I'm good. I'm good. Excited to be with you guys for another episode and yeah, good stuff hopefully and let's get into it. Yep, I'm sure Alex is very much up for this chat in our preparation. We have already established a few points to debate. So Alex looking forward to it. I'm indeed it's good to be uh chatting with you guys again. I think it's been I think it's been about two whole minutes since we filmed our Union Berlin <laughs> podcast. So yeah. it's nice to it's nice to catch up again. Yeah, yeah. Long time no see. Well I, I I suppose we should explain that. So our initial plan was to uh record the Union Berlin episode and push that out. This week we're recording on the fourteenth of November at Tuesday. So our plan was that the Union episode would go out the following day uh, because all our episodes go out every Wednesday. However, just a couple of hours before we started recording, we saw the news that Napoli hired Walter or were uh, set to hire Walter Mazzari and now they have hired him. And so I put it to the guys that if you have the time, let us record a Napoli episode. And they did have the time. So now we are recording the Napoli episode, which will go out almost immediately. So on the 15th of November, Wednesday, you will get the Napoli episode, which you're listening to. And for next week, you can look forward to the Union Berlin episode, which we have already discussed. And Spoiler. thankfully, it is the, the, the men's international break. Uh, so there will be nothing new which happens. So we can't do this without any consequences, unless Union sack their manager or something, which would be sad. But I don't think they will. So we should be fine. Anyway, let us get into Napoli for this episode. And let us begin by establishing what they did really, really well last season because they were great. They were lots of fun to watch. I believe one of the most entertaining teams in Europe. And of course, had that amazing, amazing title win, uh, ending a long, long drought. And yeah, I, mean, I don't think we need to say much about that. Everyone knows what happened. But this season, they're not doing well at all. Even though they are still in the top four of the table, their underlying numbers still decent. Um, at least on the surface, but anyone who's watched them will know that they look a complete shadow of their former selves. Of course, Luciano Spalletti left in the summer uh, and he was replaced, interestingly, by Rudy Garcia, who clearly did not have a great time. And in fact, he has already been sacked. I would say for at least the last month, month and a half, there has been serious pressure on the job to the point where one bad or really bad result could have got him sacked. And finally, he has been sacked. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's not been a great start to their title defense, to say the least. So we are here to investigate why that's the case and what is the reason behind it. Is it Garcia's fault? Are there other factors? Those are the questions we will be posing. Shall we prefix this as well by saying that... Um... They'll be back and forth between me and you two as uh, pre-season. Um, I made three hot takes in Serie A. One of them was that Juventus were finishing the like top three-ish, which we'd covered recently. Um, the other was Milan would finish outside of the top four, which we also covered recently. And uh, the other one was that Rudy Garcia's Napoli um, would do well. And this is the first one to fall. Uh, but, or, or is it, as we will get into uh, so if you're listening and hoping for some spicy uh, beef between us, mainly mainly me against these two, uh, this is the episode for you. Yeah, even more than you at this one, I think. So should be very fun. 
But before we get into the, the real meat of it, let us uh, establish what we're talking about. So Varun, why don't you give us a run through their tactics from last season and why they did so well? Yeah, thanks for the intros. And I don't know, I mean, is it just me or are we doing a lot of these good teams that suddenly went bad kind of episodes? So Napoli also. Yeah, I, I wonder, I wonder. <laughs> this who... is what happens when you let me run the agenda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Negativity. <laughs> I thrive on it. <laughs> Yeah, we're getting uh, influenced, Neil. We're getting influenced. But How does it feel that the, the most positively the, taked video we've done recently was on Max Allegri's Juventus? Oh, man. <laughs> I'm leading the charge, boys. Uh, the, 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 we're really feeling the hatred. Uh, yeah. And it's, I yeah, mean, it's, it's, because uh, if, you're, if you're talking good team turned to bad, I think there's no better example than Napoli because they were just so good last year. And... Just one look at the table and the underlyings. I mean, we obviously know they came first and everything. But they were just clear for all underlyings as well. They had the most goals scored, the highest XG, the highest XGD, the least goals allowed, the highest possession. I mean, they just thrashed everyone. And at the center of it was Spalletti. And I just have to say, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of Spalletti. I always thought he was a bit underrated before the Napoli stint. And he really got his flowers last year. So, pretty happy for him. And he had this very, very clear 4-3-3 possession football structure. I think it is a little misunderstood because it isn't as super structured as one might think, you know. It's not like... So, I think two, three episodes ago, we did Luis Enrique's PSG, right? And I started explaining the tactics by saying, imagine a 4-3-3 rigid possession structure. I wouldn't say the same for Spalletti because even though it's 4-3-3, even though it's a lot of possession, he does allow that that freedom, that space exploration. And I think it was a very good marriage of his tactics that gave that little bit of freedom within a structure and players who really knew what to do with that freedom. I think there was one quote he had uh, a year ago where he said, systems no longer exist in football. It's all about the spaces left by the opposition. And that really showed in their tactics because although it was a 4-3-3 and you just knew where players would play, you had uh, Kwarachkelia on the left, Osimhen striker, Politano on the right, Zielinski, Angusa, Lobotka in midfield, Rui, Kim, Ramani, Di Lorenzo in, in the back four and Merit at keeper. Um, even though you knew this is how they would line up, but there was a lot of that flexibility. There were so many occasions where Kicha would either go wide or go really narrow, almost like a supposed striker to Osimhen. Politano would have this hybrid role where he would double up sometimes as a right winger and sometimes almost be as wide as a wing back. Even the two eights had a lot of freedom to come and help deep in build-up or go high in the half spaces. So there was a lot of flexibility there. At the, I would say Lobotka and the two centre-backs were a lot more you know, static at the centre of it. They would really control a lot of the possession and they would literally run the game. Lobotka would move wherever the game is and be that, that fulcrum. Uh, if you can call it that way for the whole tactic and even Rui and Di Lorenzo would have different roles in different games uh, the way they inverted the, the, the way they would go wide so there was a lot of fl- flexibility within a system but the aim always was keep the ball keep finding those rotations what they were really good at was those midfield triangles and midfield rotations that they would form which would uh, help them get out of their half again 
one of the best teams in Europe they were last year in terms of getting out of their half and getting into the opposition third. So those are the real strengths of Napoli. I mean, I'm having to go through all of this because we will then go to, okay, what happened to all of this then, you know? So that is the reason I'm bringing it up. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was a very, very controlling type of football. Osemen and Kwecha had two amazing seasons. As a front two, they were probably the most lethal front two in um, all of Europe. Uh, it was very Vinicius plus Benzema kind of a combo with the left finger almost doubling like a support striker at times. I think both of them were really good. Osemen was linked to a lot of clubs, but then Napoli totally priced him out. And Kwecha also, he got the moniker Quaradona and a lot of people were saying he's going to get a big move soon uh, or something. And yeah, I mean, there were a lot of good things going on and they had an amazing, amazing season. So yeah, that's about the tactical wrap-up. I won't go on because I think a lot of people know this. I wanted to come in as well, add on something that I thought Napoli did really well. I think if you're sort of trying to learn about football tactics, I think you often hear, I certainly always heard about like, like ideally as a team, you want to create chances through central areas because you know, if you're creating chances throughout wide, it could be through crosses and get cleared, like creating cut mats, which if teams are set up well defensively, they'll be able to clear. It's like, how surely it's just really hard to create chances centrally when every team knows that and tries to prevent it. I think Napoli mastered that for a large period of last season. And the way they do it is something I've termed... I'm not sure if I've nicked it from somewhere else or I came up with this name myself or it's just got a different name and I'm giving myself too much credit. But I called it Vertical Chains. Um, Neil will probably tell me off in a second for any one of the the caveats I mentioned. Uh, but essentially, the best way I could describe it is like, you know, a defender will have the ball, maybe like Rahmani or Kim and Jay, and then one of the midfielders, uh, like central midfielders ahead of Lobotka, would make like a, a run from into out into a, a space. They'd receive it, and by the time they're receiving it, one of the wingers, like Kavatskelia, would make a run out to in. And to receive the ball further ahead uh, in another central space. And by the time he's receiving it, Osman will be making the run in behind the defence into out again. And it, 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 it's like literally like a vertical chain of passes. And within a couple of touches of each player, they'll be moving the ball, you know, A to B, straight towards goal with not much direction going wide. And if that gap came a lot from rotations, right? It wasn't as simple as I've made out. I just made that bare bones. Like it often be, you know, the midfielders coming across out of position to make that like final assist or whatever, and Osman doing it off the off the last line. It all relied on really good timing. But um, I think that's the that's the thing I think that really helped Napoli last season because even when they came against teams who were like, "Yep, this is top of the league. We're gonna play for a draw. We're gonna sit back." Napoli were able to create high quality chances by doing these vertical chains. Yep. I feel like I've heard that somewhere before, but a search on Twitter with uh, vertical chains, Napoli did not re- yield any result. Maybe you can take some credit for that. Yay! Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think just to round this off, um, maybe I, this is perhaps going a step too far, I don't know, but uh, one of the big sort of tactical concept-based discussions over the last, over the last couple of years, maybe now, is the idea of positionism and relationalism, which is maybe something we should get into someday. But at a very, very basic level, uh, positionism refers to more rigid 
structure based uh, approaches to the in possession game um so like Warren said Luis Enrique's PSG very positionist side and relationism uh, allows for more freedom for the players to sort of interpret their roles as they wish rather than being told move here move here move here uh, it, it's a, a more sort of free system that's very you know that's gross oversimplification so if you want to understand these terms better i would probably suggest to go search them but what i want to say is that there is um, or rather that there has been throughout this discussion uh, a, a, a sort of a binary created in in many many cases where a team can either be positionist or relationist and i think this is one of the problems uh, of this uh, discussion and i think actually i don't want to get all too philosophical but this is one of the real problems like just generally in the world uh, that people get caught in binaries way too much so i think napoli are a very good example of a team that balanced both positionism and relationism as were an outline right so they had their 433 it was a, it, there was some sort of some semblance of a structure there but it was a pretty loose structure and as alex said with the vertical chains with lots of rotations and stuff they would move around uh, and play through opponents so it was a mix of some structure and some uh, individual player freedom and therefore i think great example that you know positionism and relationism are not two polar opposite concepts they're two things which can be combined but that's a bit of a side point but essentially i think the main takeaway from this is that napoli last season found a very good balance of a, a simple system some very intelligent players who played their roles very very well and some su- supremely talented players as well in the likes of Karaschelia of Osimhen Kimmenje and such and therefore had a fantastic fantastic campaign so that's napoli last season now napoli this season well quite a few things have gone wrong i don't think we need to outline them because we already sort of uh, alluded to the, the fact that yeah garcia has been sacked so clearly something's going wrong so let us begin with alex defending Uh, their current situation with some mitigating circumstances, as he calls them. Yes. So first of all, they're fourth. So you know, I get. Yes, they won the league, but they're not like tenth. It's not been a complete disaster. Uh, they've still won the majority of their games. Uh, I think majority might be half. Um, but that 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 would be my first defense. Uh, I would also say that I'm going to save this point for the end. Actually, um, no, I'll say it now because I've just said it. Uh, Kvartskaya, he ended the last season going ten league games, I think, without scoring a goal, uh, only getting two assists, and he had a similar dry run. I think I I tweeted in September that he hadn't scored a goal since March. So start the season without scoring, despite being you know I think MVP last year, right? So dry run for him. Uh, Neil's wrote something beneath that. Do you want to rebuttal now, Neil, or do you want to wait? Yeah, I think it's worth considering that. Kvartskaya is not the only Napoli player who's been out of form this season, so maybe there is something about maybe there's some correlation between this uh, change in manager and now Garcia coming in, and all of their attackers seemingly suddenly losing all their form. I think it certainly has something to do with their confidence in the way they're playing, uh, and the fact that they yeah you know, they're not playing very good as a team in general, uh, which has affected all of them on an individual level as well. So yeah. It, it, It's it does not make sense. Maybe point. I've got a point. Thank you, Neil. Thank you. That's all I needed here. I've got a very good point. <laughs> yeah. Now let's move on. Um, Galini, uh, the goalkeeper, has been uh, was injured for six games. Rahmani, the starting centre back, was out for four. Osimhen is now out injured for quite a while, and as Varane will touch on later, has had other issues as well. Um, there's also been staff changes. Now again, this isn't in defence of Garcia. This is more 
against him. And I, I do want, I think I'll tie it back to this in a minute, but uh, two of two background staffers are under here under Spalletti, actually three, I think, left. Uh, Garcia brought in two, one, one that was with him at Al Nasir, one that's been with him like since going back to Lyon, I think even since going back to Marseille, that's Claude, uh, Claude, uh, Fit, 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 Fijou, Claude Fijou. Going all the way back with Garcia uh, to 2003. Uh, so long time, man. Um, then the final points as well. Uh, Kim and Jay, I think Varable would like to double down on this one. Kim and Jay were sold and he had no real replacement uh, at all. Also, they lost Lozano, who while he wasn't the best player, uh, Lozano started over half of uh, Napoli's games last season. Uh, how how big of a problem is it that Napoli lost Kim Min Jae without a replacement? So I mean, I would say that, and in, in the form he was in for Napoli last year, Kim Min Jae was probably top three centre backs in the world, uh, in Europe at least, and maybe in the world too. And he did everything for them. I mean, if you see his progression numbers, they were all ninety five plus. If you see his duel numbers, they were all ninety five plus. And he was just so good in possession and out of possession. He was a one-man army at the back. It was very, very peak Van Dyke for Liverpool, kind uh, kind of. Because if you see that back four, I mean, yes, they did well. They all deserve plaudits. But the only one player you can truly call world-class or elite was Kimenje. And when you have a leader like that, when you have a uh, elite player, and then you have good players around him, it works. It works as uh, as a defensive unit. The moment you lose that elite uh, player, those good players, the the gaps start looking a little uh, obvious. I mean, they, no one now is that world class elite. Yes, they got Nathan, uh, the Brazilian, who's, who's who's a youngster and has a lot of potential. But yeah, he's no Kim Jae, and sadly, the, no one else is a Kim Jae as well. So I think if anyone even just you know doesn't do a one-hour podcast and simply says, oh, they're doing badly because they lost Kim Inche. I would just probably agree. All right, man, if you want to go, you can leave. <laughs> Bye, guys, I'm done. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I suppose yeah, I, those are obviously all completely irrelevant points, but it's safe to also say that uh, they have dropped off a fair bit tactically as well. I think, Warren, you've got some observations that you've noted from their matches so far this season compared to under Spalletti last season. Yeah, I mean, we spoke about the tactics earlier, right? And I think it's actually a very good example of how you can see a 4-3-3 possession setup uh, with the same players under two different managers and realize how different it is. So on paper and maybe on the first look or maybe one minute if you follow the game, it might look very similar. Everyone's in those positions. It's a 4-3-3. They're keeping a lot of the ball. Napoli are still pretty good. They're high on possession and build up all those underlying numbers. But then it's those little things, right? It's those um, the ways in which the build-up would find a free person to get out. The way in which the defense would reorganize. Now, I have a huge problem with their defensive organization. Last year, they were amongst the best defences in Europe. And that is one thing people forget. They think a very good possession side is, you know, just getting by because they keep a lot of the ball, right? And there's something Guardiola also doesn't get enough credit for until recently. Uh, but some of these managers who are very, very possession, first possession heavy, they, they think about defence a lot. 
And in Napoli's case, one thing was that they would not give the opposition space between the lines. They had a very, very good uh, sense of compressing space between defense and midfield, midfield and attack. Less or so between midfield and attack, they would let the attackers press a little and then track back. But especially between defensive, uh, their defensive line and the midfield, the space would be very, very less. Those pockets of space that the opposition strikers can drop and find or the number 8s or number 10s can go in the half spaces and find. Napoli would be very good uh, under Spalletti at denying that space. And in this season, that, that's been a very, very uh, big issue with them. I mean, some of it is player-related. Someone like Kim Min-Jay, again, was very aggressive in blocking those spaces. He would get out and be a little aggressive in going into defensive midfield areas or, you know, half-space areas uh, to cut out those passes. But even keeping aside the individual quality, but tactically also, they are set up a little naively. The, sometimes the defensive line is not that high. Sometimes the midfield presses a bit too much behind the attackers and they offer a lot of space just ahead of the defensive line. So that is one one issue. I mean, there were games against Genoa, Braga, where they found a, a lot of space in the midfield. And there's, there's so many replays of the goals they've conceded where midfielders are trying to run back in possession. The, the 11 does seem stretched vertically. So they are going a little high in offense or a little deep in defense, whichever way, but Rudy Garcia has not found that perfect combination where they're able to defend well as a unit. And I would like to come in. I don't want to repeat anything you said, Varun, because I agree with it 100%. I, like, independently, uh, pre-podcast, I I looked at my own notes for what I had Napoli this season, and then the two games I'd written down online and two games that I've written in my notebook, uh, I said the same things, that Napoli gave up too much space between the lines, uh, their press just seemed to be too distended between their back unit, well, their rear unit and their front unit. Um, so just confirming what you said, and I would like to add a reason to that, which I think this is a bit more, uh, this is kind of a left field, and we don't need to go too deep into it because it suits his own podcast. Um, but I think we can tie this to the difference between Spalletti and Garcia. So Rudy Garcia, his last big job in the top five leagues was at Lyon, right? Uh, in Ligue 1 in 2021. He led them to fourth, uh, which ordinarily would be a Champions League spot in other top five leagues. But for France, up until now, that's that was Europa League. So he left, yada, yada, yada. He also led them to the Champions League semi-final year before. And you're thinking, where am I going with this? Well, Garcia looked like a very good coach in France. And I'm beginning to realise now he's not maybe not quite cut out for it in uh, the modern game. Because one of the things we praise Farioli for is he brought out of possession... Uh, attention to detail to France and he's very quickly flown to the top of the Liga and table because of that um, you could also label that potentially with Adi Hutter and a couple other managers uh, like Will Stewart Rem uh, in France we're starting to see now managers who come in with an out of possession plan they rise to the top and what I think's happened here at Napoli is that Rudy Garcia a manager who let's not disrespect he has had a lot of success in the past. He won Ligue 1 with Lille, I think, when Eden Hazard was there. So, historical manager. But I don't think he's as on board as Spalletti was and other managers was, and potentially as Spalletti's backroom staff was, uh, to the out-of-possession mechanics. And I think that lack of de- attention to detail in that department, as Varun has outlined, is well, has led to the issues that Varun has outlined. 
and ties back to what I was saying to the start about the staff changes. I don't know about your guys' thoughts on that. I mean, you knew. Uh, I think maybe that's a, a direct reason there and perhaps an interesting one that um, maybe well, maybe now we'll see a bit more of, you know, managers who've had success over quite a long career beginning to get found out more and more um, in that, the top five leagues. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting point. I think that's something worth thinking about more. But just quickly on the point of Napoli's defending as well, I think this is very sort of simplistic stuff, but... Uh, from what I can remember, so like last season throughout, they had a four-four-two structure with Zielinski joining Osimhen up top, uh, and a four-four-two of course known to be, I mean, probably the most defensively compact formation you can come up with. So, it, and of course then you have the sort of compactness between the lines and stuff, and that makes it really hard to play through. Uh, and of course, one issue with Garcia is that you've lost that compactness between the lines. But another issue also has been that he's he's tweaked this structure. In, in different games. I remember one game, uh, I forget which, but fairly recently in the last couple of weeks, it was a more of a real 4-3-3. Um, and, I, I mean, for a team that's not exactly having the best of times defensively, I think it doesn't help to be making those, you know, changes to the structure. And, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, they've, they've not been horrific defensively, um, but it is an area where they have slightly regressed. Then they've also regressed in possession. And so altogether, they have significantly dropped off. And then, of course, there's some more off-field issues, which I think uh, Varun uh, has to, to point out. Yeah, I don't think they've been really helped with a lot of the other issues as well. So, I mean, again, uh, two of their biggest players are Kim Minje and Osimen from last year. They lose one and Osimen has just not had anything going for him i mean there were a lot of issues with garcia i think there was one one game where he was substituted early and he showed his anger on the touchline then there was a social media issue where he was that was hilarious where uh, the napoli social media manager made a joke on him looking like a coconut or something and that blew up a lot. Uh, Osimhen put out a statement later on his lawyer. I mean, it, it currently, I think there is a case as well. His lawyer said they'll fight the case against Napoli as well. And Napoli didn't do much to support him. That was also a little a little sad. And then he's also been injured. So Osimhen has just not like a fully fit focused Osimhen for a stretch of games is not something Napoli have enjoyed in this season. And I think that is also a big, big, big problem. And in general, across the squad, there have been a lot of player rotations. I mean, in the 16 games played so far, only 9 players have played double-digit games. And a total of 23 players have been used by Napoli. And like one area where this has been seen a lot is their centre-back pairing. In the last 5 games, I mean, uh, take a look at this, guys. Their centre-back pairing has been, um, I'm going in reverse order. Um, Amir Ramani and Ostegard. Before that, it was Amir Ramani and uh, Netan. Before that, it was Amir Ramani and Ostegard. Before that, it was Netan, Amir Ramani. And before that, it was Amir Ramani and Netan. So, they haven't had two games in a row with the same centre-back pairing. These three have just repeatedly rotated. And 
Nathan has started getting chances now recently but for a long time Garcia was not willing to give him chances he was the 22 year old brazilian who was supposed to replace Kimenje i mean not replace replace but at least a very good talent and a lot of fans wanted him to be playing and he's recently started getting chances but napoli just keep getting into these weird center back rotations and then there was one game where um two of them weren't available and um Jesus and Romani had to form Jesus and Ostigard had to form a center back pairing and Jesus hasn't like played in 5 6 games in a row so they've just had to rely on so many player rotation so many players going out they've not had a consistent backline i think that's another reason for the defensive was not only are you losing Kimenje not only is tactically your defense getting battered more because of lower mid- midfield protection and you're also not able to have a consistent center back pairing going on and your strikers also not available consistently and then there's just no consistency so i think a lot of these other issues even beyond tactics in terms of player availability form um uh, off pitch issues that that's really not help napoli yep absolutely and i think to, to run this bit off um i think it's also worth looking at some stats uh and yeah this probably plays more into what alex is saying but If you look at the underlying numbers so currently this season they're second in Serie A based on expected goal difference right so they're only behind Inter who I think we can say are clearly the best side in the league without a shadow of a doubt they're second in xg and they are fourth uh, in terms of xga so it's it's not all that bad however i do have one caveat to this and that's specifically to their xg because i feel that their their bigger issue is their in possession and attacking stuff and of course while as i said they have and as you guys pointed out they have dropped off defensively i don't think it's been too dramatically too bad and there has been inconsistency and issues but you know it's 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 not like an union berlin who we will discuss in the next episode that they're conceding absolute you know, truckloads of goals it's just that attack has looked disjointed and even and you know this this might sound a bit silly to say after i've just said they have the second best xg in the league but here's something to consider and this is where it's 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 worth looking deeper than just even the 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 first level of underlying numbers it's worth looking even deeper than that because while napoli do have the second best xg in the league does anyone want to guess where they are in terms of non penalty expected goals per shot uh i will get you hang on hang on this is a key thing are you doing actual position like what foot breath is telling you i'm assuming or are you doing joint position uh give me the figure why don't you let's let's not get into position give oh, the, the figure okay i'm going to guess 0.08 but um i'm going to go 0.0.1 Yep, it's right in between you. It's 0.09. And that is firmly mid-table, right? Uh and now uh one would counter this by saying that I believe last season their NPX per shot was exactly 0.110, right? So it, it is a drop off yes, but it's not massive. But the problem is last season they regularly had an inform Karaschelia and an inform Osimhen taking those relatively lower sort of chance quality shots 
And obviously, those guys are, are very good finishers. So they got the job done. But this season, as you said, Varun, they've been out for a good chunk of the games and they've also been out of form, which you can uh, you can ascribe to a variety of factors, including the team not being very good. Uh, so it's, it's perhaps a you know, two-way chain in that respect. So there's been a slight drop-off in the, the quality of chances they're creating. And on top of that, the people taking those chances are significantly worse finishers on average uh, than an Osimen or a Quaraskele consistently. So with that in mind, and again, uh, you know, this again poses a question because, you know, you can't 100% blame uh, Rudy Garcia for these players not being available in, in certain matches and not being out, uh, in form as well. But it is, it is a factor and maybe it is something that he should recognize and maybe sort of switch change some things when when they're absent to maybe try and get the team uh, to, to sort of create better chances or have have a more coherent attacking system. But he's simply not been able to, to, to do... Ah, I can't speak now. To do that. And that, in my opinion, is is his sort of big mistake. And that's what's cost him his job, I think. If he I mean, could... just a quick question to interlude here, because I'm not disagreeing with you. However... How much do you think this is down to the fact, like, how much do you think our perception of this is down to the fact that a new manager is coming? For example, if Spelletti hadn't fallen out, and let's just hypothetically assume, like, this performance, these performances would have come out still, like, the exact same performances, exact same undeniable numbers, right? Do you think Spalletti's job would be under threat, or we would be saying, uh, we would be relying more on mitigating circumstances, and we'd be saying, you know, the won the title, it's a hangover, like that, we'd be more forgiving to Spalletti. Would his job be under threat, or is it because a new manager has come in and it's a, maybe a bit easier to be like? I'm not, saying, I'm not saying this. I'm just saying maybe it's a bit easier to perceive it as the manager has come in and he's just not able to get as much as the attack out of the attack as Spalletti was. Oh, that's absolutely a very valid point, and I think that is true. You know, if this was Spalletti instead of Garcia, I don't think we'd be having this chat right now. But also, I would at the same time say that if it was Spalletti instead of Garcia. Uh, Osiman and Koraskelia probably don't drop out of form as much as they did and even when they did I think Spalletti would do a better job of adjusting and dealing with their absences because I, I felt Spalletti was much more capable of adjusting things uh, and you know, you know as we discussed at the start his I mean system if you can call it that even though he doesn't like that word but his sort of approach was to get the team set up in a way which benefited the players so the way he was playing last season was built on the fact that he had an Osiman, he had a Quaraschelia. And of course, it's very helpful to, to have such good players. But if, you know, if they're injured, if they're out of form, then I would back Spalletti to make the adjustments, to make the changes, to sort of get the team playing better. Uh, whereas Garcia, I feel, has he's basically done nothing, honestly. I, I, I can't think of anything he's really... Or, well, not nothing, but I can't think of any good thing he's done which has positively helped the team's attack. So that is my sort of uh, big criticism of him. And that to me is why he's lost his job. If he had been able to even sort of take the attack towards the right direction, I think it would have been worth giving him some time. But he's, 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 he's gotten a fair bit of time and he hasn't done anything. So that's why I think it's fair enough to sack him. But I think Warren I mean, has a point. I kind of agree with both of you. In Alex's case, if Spelletti had the same numbers... Would he be sacked? 100% no. 
and i oh, actually yes. i actually agree with alex that the numbers aren't that bad i mean they have more or less top 4 or top 6 underlying metrics and it's salvageable on paper but then this is where things get interesting because i don't think rudy garcia is being sacked for where the team is currently i think he's being sacked for where everyone thinks the team will end up two months down the line exactly. because because if this goes on i think the performances the confidence the dressing room atmosphere the support the players have uh, the support he has of the players and the fans and the board's confidence on him turning things around and you know mounting a title challenge or at least a comfortable third place or something is very low all of that is very low rudy garcia has nothing in the bank and has shown nothing to suggest that if you give him two months three months four months or whatever amount of time that this is going to get better and that actually brings us back to why rudy garcia was hired in the first place which is i think what our next section deals with yeah i think that's perfectly at least perfectly summed up my side of the argument i think hopefully alex feels the same too yeah you know uh, i feel very well laid out yeah so lovely I was, stuff i was just asking it more for because it, it, i think no, no, it, I, especially in the climate where we're talking about i think we're very used to talking about teams like like Union who are rising high and they've fallen so low like sacking manager is absolute like pretty much inexcusable right like he's a as a need so i think it is worth prompting to be like you know napoli are napoli aren't doing as well as last season but they're not doing quite as bad so it's it's worth to look into that and i'm glad i asked that question to prize those words out of the pair of you yep yeah, yeah that's a very good point as that so fair enough right now with all of that established uh we should also finally let's talk about, about the answer to the problems yes we should also think about what they should do next and they have done something yeah they've got the answer which is walter mazzari that is the solution to all of life's problems hire walter mazzari as you want to ask how good walter mazzari is okay well there's two sides to this so for example he managed napoli before um 10 years ago uh, he did win a coppa italia and he was the runner up in serie a Uh, so we can't negate on him too much. I do think as well. I've not had the time to check, but I'm pretty sure this was in their. This is still in their emerging era under the Lentis. Like this is way pre-Sarri, so it's not like saying you no know, runners up in Syria are oh, compared to modern day Napoli. That's a bit mad. That's I, they went bankrupt in I think in the 2000s, right? So that seems like quite a good job. Um, better job than his recent ones. Uh, his last job, he managed right. Cagliari. Uh. It's from September 2021 to May 2022, so he didn't finish the season. Uh, he made, managed 35 games and he won seven. He had a 20% win percentage of 35 games, which, um, in my opinion, is absolutely appalling. Uh, yeah, so not great. Um, apparently, he he's the answer to the problems. However, Neil has written a point in the dock. He's about he's about to slam the Atlantis for it, so I can't blame him. But I am going to battle him on one point. Uh, we'll see about it although he has just taken it away so that'll be interesting he's thrown it to the end uh varon has put it to the end so varon has sabotaged all i am saying right now so i hope <laughs> the listeners understand that um but instead now we have to go and who we would pick and i wouldn't introduce it it would be neil um, yeah, so no. neil i'm going to make you awkwardly ask me ask who i would replace um yeah, tell you with varon this is your fault No, that's my fault. That, I did that. <laughs> no, no. Uh, As yeah, always, think, Neil is at fault. <laughs> I think we've already did mention, but Mazzari has been hired on a seven-month contract, which is basically till the end of the season, which makes a lot more sense because 
we i'm i'm sure every single person on this planet agrees that he's not the guy uh, to take napoli forward so he's basically a stopgap which is fair enough and next summer you have to go and make a very good appointment like spalletti so alex who do you suggest is a very good appointment like spalletti uh i've come up with a name that none of you guys thought to mention which is a bit odd uh i've come yeah. up with Victor italiano <laughs> <Who's that>? um, <laughs> the manager of fiolentina uh he's been there i think three or four years now right uh the re- there's a f- couple reasons i really like him for napoli uh, a few reasons actually one he plays a 4-3-3 um in, f- in fact i'm actually used to battle the point now uh, i was waffling about before which round uh uh, took away. Round on our Google Doc has, has written a four-three-three fetish as a reason to blame Dilarentis. I disagree with this a lot. If you're going to come up Napoli against this, I think a big part of Napoli's success since Sarri is that every manager they've brought in has played a four-three-three and like broadly the same system. And I think it's meant it, it, to me. It's meant that tactical consistency, that identity, has meant they've always been around the top four. It's given a very strong identity for the fans. I I I, I just think as well it's been. It helps so much for players training, like like profiling as well. Like you'll sign a player, he won't get thrown away because he doesn't work for a system for the next guy. So I think it's very important to get a guy for four three three, which is what Italiano does. He also has teams makes his strong team a team one that's ball dominant, but he still has the flexibility. I'd say like it's not just about controlling the ball and passing for passing sake. I quite like his out of possession game as well. I think that's been a good facet of his. Uh, the also the good quality. Um, and this is another Alex Barker phrase. You heard you hear the term turning water into wine. I wouldn't credit him quite that far. So I'm going to say uh, Vincenzo Italiano is really good at turning water into Budweiser. Um, basically, he takes quite bad players uh, and makes them not bad, not great, not bad. For example, his current team at the moment, uh, he is rocking with uh, Arta. Uh, formerly of Barcelona, and his amazing stint at Liverpool. Um, Bonaventura as attacking midfielder, when really he's more of a midfielder and means he drops into midfield. It's quite awkward for Fiorentina. Uh, he's got Nico Gonzalez, who's always fine, and he's made good stuff out of him. Uh, Jonathan Kone as well, I think he's still there. And again, fine last season too. Dodo uh, is injured now. Uh, but right back arrived from Shakhtar, got good stuff from him. Essentially, his players always hit. It feels like they're hitting the maximum of their ability. And that's what I like about him. The one thing I will say I don't, well, I think he needs to improve on um, is his ad- adaptions in-game. Uh, our last game I watched of him was against Inter. They lost 4-0. And what I noted there was that Inter were giving up a really big, overload chance on the left-hand side with uh, DeMarco pushing high and it felt like Fiorentina didn't expose that enough and I came away feeling that And th- but I did you know think maybe I was just overthinking it then the next inter-game was Sassuolo and Sassuolo did the exact same thing that I wanted Fiorentina to do and got two goals from it so I think Italiano could do more adaptions uh, in-game but overall he's a good fit uh, for the Napoli job Right, thank you very much, Alex, and uh, special thanks for shooting down Varun Sweat before he could even make it. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes, take that, Varun. I hope you enjoyed that. And you know what? You know what? You you know it's not even your chance to speak yet. Neil gets to go next. <laughs> Neil, who 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 do you who would you uh, bring into Napoli? Yeah, so I think all of us first thought of Italiano, and once Alex very kindly stole that option from us, we had to resort to thinking a little bit more. 
And one of the suggestions that Alex kindly made to me was Roberto De Zerbi. So I said no, but that gave me an idea. Francesco Farioli. Now, this is I don't this this might be a little tough to do because obviously Farioli only joined Nice this summer. So even if you wait till next summer, you're going to pull him out in a year and that obviously that'll obviously take, you know, transfer fees, but more importantly, it will take one pricing him away from whatever project they're working on at Nice and obviously making Nice let go of him. But I do think obviously he's Italian, so so I mean that that's that's an important point. Um and obviously Napoli uh stature wise, competitiveness wise, is a step up from Nice still right now, right? Even though Nice are top of Liga. I mean I think it's still safe to uh well rather were till last week. But anyway, I think it's safe to say that. So from a tactical point of view, if you want to know about Fayoli, then you're in luck because we just talked about him in our last episode, I think, uh, which was about Nice. So go listen to that and you will understand why I think he's a great fit for Napoli. But to be w- very short and concise, he also plays a full 3-3, very possession-based, uh, in, in many cases that Zerbi-like uh, and crucially, solid defensively, he's going to sort that out and he can he can set up a system which will get the best out of the likes of Quaras uh, Helia and Osimen, I think. So that is a very concise summary of why I think Fireley will do well. As said, if you want to know more, listen to that nice episode. Uh, but Varun, can you, Varun, I just want to ask, did you pick up on uh, Neil's highly detailed first explanation there, which which read as, I'm going to write this down for a quote, he's Italian, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> I did cackle the way to that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, great argument from me. But yes, anyway, now you may first introduce your manager, and then you may also state the point which Alex has already shot down. No, no, I'll, I'll state the point first. Uh, no, so actually, while largely I agree that a certain system should be, you know, common, or you know, the players that you have at your disposal, and Napoli historically has played in that way. My bigger point is De Laurentiis, the president, has a 4-3-3 fetish to the point where he's not considering anything else and he wants the manager to always deploy that. So there was one news story which Rudy Garcia, by the way, for the first time played a 4-2-3-1 last weekend because he wanted to fit um, Raspadori behind uh, Giovanni Simeone uh, because Osimhen was not there. He wanted to put those two together. And Soon after he got sacked. And De Laurentiis has stated this many times. In the previous summer also before Rudy Garcia. That the manager has to play only 4-3-3 every game. So I think he takes it too far. The idea of it being... And by the way, he, he has clearly said that is the only criteria. Not how they play. So we've, we just spoke about Rudy Garcia and so many of the issues and the differences from Spalletti. So... It almost makes it sound like as long as you're fielding for three threes on paper, it doesn't matter the possession system, the pressing, the out of possession, all that doesn't matter. It just needs to be four three three. So I think the Lonitis takes it to that level. And in generally, I do think he deserves a bit of blame for multiple things. First is the deteriorating equation with Spalletti, that it came to a point where Spalletti wanted to leave. I mean at one point, Spalletti and Napoli were so good. Uh, all of us thought, why would this ever end, you know, soon? Like, 
I, at this high, why would someone leave? And yet, Spalletti was having issues even towards the end of last season. And the first opportunity he got, he left. So, a lot of that is down to the character that is De Laurentiis. Then again, the appointment of Rudy Garcia. I'd even add the appointment of Mazari. I mean, these are awkward appointments. And he's just shortlisting managers who are available and who satisfy the 4-3-3 criteria. So I think this is the wrong way to go about it. And I think it's leading to more confusion and more trouble. And the summer, uh, especially, he said that there was a list of 40 names. And Vincenzo Italiano was not on those 40 names because apparently he was very clear he only wants to manage Fiorentina. Uh, De Laurentiis mentioned this in an interview that I'm not troubling my friends at Fiorentina uh, because he's very clear he wants to manage there. So we don't know what the situation is now. Um, my candidate actually is someone De Laurentiis did ask who was amongst his first choices. By the way, it also goes to show he asked at least some 10 people before, um, you know, coming down to Rudy Garcia. So, I mean, Rudy Garcia was not there uh, at the top of the list. Um, the candidate I would like to say is Thiago Mota. And apparently, De Laurentiis in his own words has said that he interviewed Thiago Mota and Thiago Mota passed. But then Mota said he did not want to risk taking the place of a manager who achieved everything. That is Pelletti. So, um, that that is one thing. I don't know if Mota feels differently now, but I think Napoli should consider him for next summer. Uh, probably Mota will feel differently uh, about, you know, going after Rudy Garcia and Mazari than he did uh, the previous summer going after Spalletti. So maybe his mind would have changed and he would have just gained one more year of very, very good experience with Bologna, who I find a very impressive team. Good news for De Laurentiis, they also play 4-3-3. Uh, I mean, you would have heard of the, the huge uh, uproar when Mota said he wants to play a 2-7-2. Um, obviously, his intention was shifting the 4-3-3 shape to have a sweeper-keeper uh, go very aggressively beyond the centre-backs. And that is why he called it a 2 with the two centre-backs and a goalkeeper in part of the 7 and then a 2. But it's largely a 4-3-3 that takes that shape. And he's been doing really well at Bologna. In possession, they are kind of similar to what Napoli did last year. Out of possession, they are a lot more aggressive. They have this high 4-1-4-1 kind of press where they press in uh, a striker leads the press and then a bank of four backs it up. So it's, it's very interesting tactics. And I do think he's not as impressive as the two options you guys suggested. I really like both shouts of yours, Italiano and Farioli. But I think if you're going slightly left field or if those two guys say no again, then Mota starts becoming an attractive option. He's one of those, I won't say next big thing and put too much pressure on him, but at least I think he's ready for a step up. So he could be an option. Yeah, just one thing, Varun. I don't know if he's sarcastically or earnestly, but ultimately Mota's 272 was debunked as he was talking about it like horizontally as opposed to vertically. So 272 is actually a 433, but he meant two players on the right wing. Seven in the middle and two in the left wing. Yeah, yeah. Basically, it was the normal four-three-three with a keeper aggressive. That's what it ended no, up. No, it, was, it was not even a keeper aggressive. It was just a keeper at the back. But it was oh, like okay. two. So the two, the first two is the right winger and the right back. Then the seven includes the keeper, the two centre backs, the three midfielders, and the striker. Oh, okay. And like the that. other two includes the left winger and the left back. So he, oh. he was. I, mean, I don't know why he was talking about. No one in the world has ever talked about formations like that. But I mean, yeah. He's a visionary. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect uh, for Napoli. <laughs> you also yeah. mentioned about uh, Vincenzo Italiano rejecting 
Oh, well, not being on the list. That was very interesting. But I, I think I would agree that his mindset would have changed because all the Dilantes would need to ask him is, who do you want to rather manage? Uh, Kavica Karaskelia or Christian Kouame? And I think at that point, Italiano will go, I'll, ca- I'll take Karaskelia, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair point. And especially, yes, I think succeeding Rudy Garcia is a much more uh, attractive prospect than Eugenio Spalletti, <laughs> as you said. So, fair enough. But yeah, I think that... Uh, oh, do we? Do you have predictions? Well, of course we do. Uh, or should yeah. we have predictions, though? Because I don't think anyone's expecting much this season I, now. I predict Walter Matsali will take over. Yes. Thank you, Alex. Great I stuff. predict. I predict they'll be even worse under Walter Mazzari. <laughs> and the next manager, whoever... Like, all our options will suddenly start becoming a lot more attractive than they were because they're going to they're gonna get worse, I think. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I'm going to go the opposite. I'm going to go the opposite way and cut this bit out when we clip it, if it's true. Um, Valtimatali, he's going to turn Napoli around and they're going to win the Coppa Italia. Are they, are they out of that yet? I hope not. They're going to win Coppa Italia uh, and they're going to finish like, top. Now, if that doesn't come true, let's just forget I ever said that. All right, man. Alex is just becoming <laughs> the leader of those crazy predictions. A lot of which come true. So, I mean, I shouldn't make yeah, fun of them at all. Yeah, but I, th- no, I think there's a long-term move. You see what they're doing is they hired Mazzari. So, uh, he's an even more attractive prospect to succeed I imagine, ah. than Garcia. And if he does well enough, they might entirely miss out on European football next season. So, the, the new person who comes in will, uh, will have long weeks to sort of <laughs> embed his tactical ideas into the players. Uh, and Napoli will be good again. Next the new year, manager so. will be dubbed the savior of Naples. And yes, imagine being a Napoli player. Like, who's, who's been there since 2014? It'd be like, it'd be like, yeah, someone like that. And like every single year, like the manager does his like opening talk. Okay, so this year we're gonna play a four-three-three. Let's control the ball. It's just that every year. All the players just like nodding a lot. Okay, okay, I'm with you. How additional. Yes. But yeah, I think that rounds us off very nicely then for this episode. Thank you very much again, guys. We really, really enjoyed that. As always, thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, and as ever, you can find us all on Twitter. I'm at Chiratneer. Alex is at EuroExpert underscore. Varun runs the at Devils, at the Devils DNA account. And if you go to the at GetFootballEU account, uh, you can find in the bio the handles of all of our country and region specific accounts. So you will be kept up to date with all the proceedings in all of the major leagues in Europe and around the world. If you go to those and you'll find some of the latest news, analysis, opinions uh, and such from some of the best analysts around, you can find all of that in the link or rather you can find all of that linked in the notes or the description of this episode uh, depending on what app you're listening on. And uh, if your app allows it, please do rate the podcast as well. And if you enjoyed it, give us a good five-star review because that helps us with our reach. And of course, if you enjoyed the episode and share it on social media, that naturally helps with reach as well. But in any case, thank you very much for listening. Thanks to Alex and Varun for joining me for this one. We can already reveal that the next episode will be Union Berlin. So keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. But take care until then. Goodbye. Thank you.
Thank you.